Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Happy Easter to everybody. Today on the program, rolling restrictions. The variants of concern are spreading rapidly. This is a new pandemic. We're now fighting a new enemy. A circuit breaker is now required to break the chains of transmission in our province and allow us to safely move forward through this next phase. Tough new restrictions kick in across the country as dangerous new variants threaten to overwhelm healthcare systems. Was this as a result of a failure to act earlier? Are the variants winning the race against the vaccines? The BC Health Minister Adrian Dix and the Mayor of Mississauga, Ontario, Bonnie Crombie, join us with the latest on that and then the third wave. As the new variants spread, you will see that COVID is killing faster and younger. It's spreading far more quickly than it was before, and we cannot vaccinate quickly enough to break this third wave. This vaccine has had all the ups and downs. It looks like a roller coaster. Um, the, the, the problem is because data are evolving, we are also evolving our recommendations. With the third wave of COVID hitting the country hard, why is AstraZeneca still only recommended by the National Advisory Committee on Immunization for people over the age of 55? Has confusion about that vaccine undermined confidence in it? We'll ask the Vice Chair of the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, Dr. Shelley Deeks. Plus, U.S. help. 1.5 million doses of AstraZeneca's vaccine were loaded onto trucks this morning in the United States and are en route to Canada as we speak. Will the U.S. finally release more vaccines to Canada as they surge ahead in their rollout? And how will Joe Biden's $2 trillion stimulus package impact this country? We'll find out when we speak to the U.S. Chargé d'Affaires in Canada, Catherine Brucker. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. So once again, it's another COVID celebration. This Easter Sunday, no family gatherings. The spring weather outside is being shadowed by the clouds of COVID-19 that hang over the whole country. Most of you watching today are now hit hard by harsh new restrictions. The four-week shutdown in Ontario that came in last night, curfews and limits in Quebec, the circuit breaker in British Columbia, which we'll get to in a minute. These outbreaks were by and large predicted by COVID models weeks ago, but provinces opened anyway for various reasons, and here we are again. The variants of concern are winning the race against the vaccine. As the Premier of Ontario said, it's like a new pandemic suddenly, more dangerous. The risk of admissions to the ICU more than twice as high. And though Canada is getting 9.5 million vaccines by the end of this weekend and millions more in April, which exceed earlier targets, they didn't arrive fast enough to stop the variants. Canada now sits at about 35th in the world in terms of vaccination rates. So amidst all the frustration and the fear from families and business owners, there's also a lot of confusion. Are vaccines like AstraZeneca safe? Why are certain businesses closed and others aren't? Is it safe to send your kids to school? Should essential workers be on the priority list for a vaccine? Confusion about messages can lead to a crisis of trust, which is critical in a pandemic response. So you might think that in the midst of the worst COVID crisis since January in a deadly third wave when governments are making life and death decisions, that public health officials would be out in force to communicate all this clearly for you at home. That health leaders would be here on programs like ours this morning to explain these decisions, why you need to stay home. But no. 
Almost none of the key health leaders are available this morning to get you answers. We asked key officials from the Public Health Agency of Canada to be here. None were made available. We asked the federal health minister. She was unavailable. The premiers of Ontario, Quebec, Alberta, Manitoba, B.C., not available. What does that tell you? While these leaders urge you to stay at home in mid-afternoon press conferences, aren't most people out there working during the day trying to support their families instead of watching? Aren't young people at school trying hard to get an education during this terrible crisis remotely? In a crisis, trust and leadership requires transparency and availability and genuine scrutiny. Is there enough of that? You can decide, and we're going to get into that on this program. But today we are glad to be joined by the Health Minister of British Columbia, Adrian Dix, whose province, of course, just announced they are in a circuit break because of COVID-19. Uh, happy Easter to you, and I hope you and your family are doing well. Minister Dix, good to have you here. Your province reported the most amount of cases in a single day uh, last Wednesday since the beginning of the pandemic. What has been the main driver of, of the rise in cases and the need for a circuit breaker? Well, we saw a rise in cases uh, really starting last week. We'd been around uh, 6%, 6.5% test positivity leading up to that, but it went up to uh, 9% by uh, March 26th. A lot of it is indoor gatherings and indoor workplaces. In fact, it's indoors rather than outdoors. So the steps that we took that were taken by Dr. Bonnie Henry on Monday were to, first of all, uh, to ban indoor dining in restaurants and, that, and pubs and uh, bars, and that's uh, a huge change. It affects a lot of people. In B.C., you're only allowed to socialize with people in your household, in your home, and uh, this is a time that we really need to dig in. As we see the light of the vaccine with us, we need to really dig in now and follow the public health measures to reduce this level of transmission. The Premier laid a lot of the blame on, on this third wave on young people when he said people between 20 and 39, quote, don't pay my, as much attention to health briefings. Uh, he said, I'm appealing to young people to curtail your social activity. Don't blow this for the rest of us, he said. Do not blow this for your parents and neighbors and others who have been working really, really hard to make sacrifices. A lot of young people are working at the most vulnerable service jobs, though. They're the ones actually doing the hard work, not getting the vaccines. Was it right and or was it divisive to blame young people for the spread like that? Uh, I don't think it's an issue of blame. Uh, I don't think anyone should be blamed. Remember, Evan, you know, we've had presidents and prime ministers test positive for COVID-19 in this world. Some of the most prominent people in the world tested positive for COVID-19. So I don't blame anyone for getting sick and we need to help people when they get sick. Here's the reality. The reality is that a very significant number of COVID-19 cases right now are between 20 and 39. So we have to engage that. I don't think people who are, by the way, 36, 37, 38, 39 are particularly young. They're probably too old to play in the NBA. But all of those people right. in, uh, in, in those categories need to understand the, the risk to them. Mr. Dix, you know, what's happening in BC, Quebec, Ontario, Alberta, Manitoba, all these provinces as this variants rise, was this a failure to plan? Modeling had showed many provinces that this was expected if they opened up. Did provinces underestimate the, the variance of concern and open up too early? Uh, well, I can just speak for British Columbia. In British Columbia, since November, you've only been allowed to socialize with people in your household. That's a serious measure. And that's meant that group, really group activities indoors, outside, 
have not been allowed, and that hasn't changed here. But what has changed is the intensity of transmission, and so we're responding to that. But what's clear right now is that it's us and the vaccines against COVID-19. We've uh, immunized about 15% of people in BC, but the main issue with immunization is supply. We've got the supply that we've got, and we've, we're, I think we're doing an excellent job in delivering that to the most vulnerable. But it's us and the vaccines against COVID-19. And right now, the us part is really important. We all have to follow public health measures everywhere in Canada. And if we can do that, we can get through what's gonna be a very, very difficult month of April. Okay, um, just on that, uh, on the supply issue, uh, I know that Canada is going to get, by the end of March, it got about nine and a half million doses. The, the, the expectation have been six, millions more are coming this month in April. But in your view, did vaccines come fast enough and are they coming fast enough? Look, I don't want to get into criticism of anybody. Um, the only countries that have really got ahead, for the most part, are countries with significant domestic capacity to produce vaccine. And that's not us. We're, we're procuring it, we're getting it on the international market. And we've signed a lot of contracts to get that. So I would like, I would have liked a million, two million, three million more doses already, and we would have delivered that. And that's not anyone's fault. Everyone's working very hard to get the vaccine, but we would like more every day. Right. Last week, we expected more Moderna than we got. Uh, but we, we appear this week, we're gonna get more AstraZeneca than we had previously expected. So this is what we're dealing with. It makes it a challenge to organize, but I think everyone's doing their best right now. And uh, what it tells us is that there's hope on the horizon, by the end of June, we expect everyone to have, an ac have had access. You mentioned AstraZeneca, and I know the National Advisory Committee on Immunization has changed the protocol a number of times, not concerned, not enough data to say it was good for people over 65. Now, concerned about blood clotting for people under 55. Is there vaccine hesitancy about that particular vaccine in your, pro in your province? Well, look, we opened up AstraZeneca for people between 55 and 64 yesterday, and we got a massive response. So I think uh, people want to be uh, vaccinated. And uh, there's a lot of support for these vaccines, which are some of the best vaccines, all three of that are currently available in BC, AstraZeneca, Moderna, Pfizer, that we've ever seen. We had a change on Monday in how we would use um, AstraZeneca from the National Advisory Committee, and we adjusted our strategy and our plan. Uh, accordingly. Adrian Dix, Minister of Health in British Columbia, appreciate you joining us this morning. Thanks so much. Anytime. Take care, Evan. So that's the circuit-breaking situation in BC. Let's move to Ontario now, where a four-week shutdown went into effect last night. The ICUs in that province filling up. Younger people are dying. But as the variants of concern outstrip the vaccines, why aren't the highest-risk populations getting the shots first? Is the vaccination plan unfair? And frankly, confusing. Let's find out. Joining me now is the mayor of Mississauga, Ontario, Bonnie Crombie. Mayor, uh, happy Easter to you and your loved ones. Uh, the shutdown in your province came into effect uh, last night. Um, but you believe the vaccination plan is just, I don't know, clumsy, should be prioritizing residents in, in heavily hit areas. What has gone wrong with that plan? So let me say happy Easter to you as well. And certainly we have passed motions so that the most vulnerable in our communities receive the vaccine. We've been saying when your house is on fire and the fire trucks come, they're not watering the houses around you. They should be watering your house. 
Here in Peel, we represent 20% of the cases. So, of course, we should be receiving about 20% of the vaccine. So that's the first point. We need to get to those most vulnerable who are in those workplaces uh, that uh, aren't being addressed right now. And those people I'm talking about, the most vulnerable in our warehouses, our manufacturing centers, food processing and packaging, and our distribution facilities. We need to get to the root cause. And they are the root cause. We need to be sending mobile clinics into those workplaces to be sure that those employees um, are being vaccinated. Okay, let, let me, there's a lot there. So what is stopping the protocol on the first issue of targeting heavily hit areas like yours? That Peel region is a, is a hot zone area. What's stopping the, the province in your case from saying, okay, let's start putting out the fire where there's fire? So resources and capacity are the key issue. We had not been receiving our share of supply of vaccine. The vaccines just weren't coming in as we had been told they would. Now that seems to have been solved, so the supply is coming. But it was also the framework that the province created, uh, which was by age cohort rather than by need and those most vulnerable uh, area codes or demographics in those uh, workplaces that are most likely to be affected. We all heard the case about the Amazon, where over 600 employees throughout the course of the entire pandemic had been affected. Why aren't we, why weren't we doing rapid testing there? And why wasn't that set up as a vaccine site? Why can't we get a mobile unit right up there to Amazon and start vaccinating those employees? That's what should have been done, not just by age cohort. The good news is the vaccines are working. So we're seeing fewer and fewer people, 80 plus, 75 plus, come into the hospital. That's been solved. We are seeing much younger people who are being infected by the new strains with much more severe symptoms um, and, and being hospitalized and being put in the ICUs. That's true. But, but Mayor, is this a policy failure in the sense that, you know, in your own province in February, there was modeling by the chief health officers that said, if you keep opening up, this is going to happen. This is a disaster in the making. By, by April, there's a lockdown again. Was this preventable and maybe policies, paid sick leave and other policies could have been used to stop the, the worst part of this? Well, as you know, I've always been a big advocate for sick leave and paid sick days. And I think they're, they're, you know, that, that was overlooked. That absolutely been, should have been done for those most vulnerable work, workers in our manufacturing and other uh, um, facilities, such as the food processing, et cetera, so that they could be assured that they would be receiving their paycheck when they had to make that choice, right. whether they go to work or stay home and isolate. So paid sick days, yes. And we could have had the rapid tests in as soon as we had those rapid tests created and approved by the federal government into those large workplaces. And now that we have a supply of vaccine, let's, let's open up the clinics there because we have a mass group of people who we know are spreading, spreading the virus um, in the workplace, bringing it home, and then taking it out to the community as well. Yeah, I got four long weeks in your province uh, of a shutdown. Uh, so that just begins now. So that's a tough way to begin Easter. Uh, Mayor Crombie, great to have you on the program. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, when we come back, as we just spoke about, vaccine confusion. Why is there so much confusion around a key vaccine like AstraZeneca, especially as Canada just received a million and a half doses? We'll dig into that with the vice chair of the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, Dr. Shelley Deeks. Stay right here with Question Period. I understand how 
um, challenging this can be for Canadians. The science is evolving as we get more and more data. Uh, experts are, are refining and shifting their recommendations. Canadians need to know that every step of the way, there is one thing driving all these experts, and that is keeping Canadians safe. Okay, so you got the circuit breaker going on in British Columbia, the curfews in Quebec, the shutdown in Ontario. These are desperate measures to control the virus because the vaccine simply did not arrive soon enough for this herd immunity. But even as they do finally arrive, there are still confusing messages about vaccine safety, specifically around AstraZeneca. Why did the National Advisory Committee on Immunization suddenly ask to temporarily stop using that key vaccine? for people under the age of 55. Is that leading to vaccine hesitancy at a critical time? Uh, let's find out. Joining me now is the Vice Chair of the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, Dr. Shelley Deeks. Uh, Dr. Deeks, thanks for your work. Happy Easter to you and your family. Um, the NACI recommendation is based on a risk reward, right? The risk that there could be a blood clot, uh, and so temporarily pausing that for under 55, but the risk is so low never happened in Canada. And now the danger of COVID is so high um, that I wonder now with the variants of concern hitting younger people, 30s, 40s, and 50s, is it time to change that assessment and say, you know what? The risk reward now works, give it to anybody. So we are actually in a fortunate situation in Canada that we have a suite of COVID-19 vaccines. Um, and so, what we have said at the National Advisory Committee on Immunization is while this safety signal is being investigated, we should pause the use of AstraZeneca vaccine in individuals under 55 years of age. Um, both the other products that, that are currently available in Canada, the mRNA vaccines, so Pfizer and Moderna, can be continued to be used in this age group, and AstraZeneca can be used in people older than 55. There's so much vaccine hesitancy at a critical time. We just approved, you know, we just got a million and a half doses of this. We've ordered 20 million. Uh, the UK has used AstraZeneca on tens of millions of people. They are confident. Health Canada says it's safe. AstraZeneca itself says it's safe. So what's the delta here between what the National uh, Advisory Committee on Immunization is saying? We're so concerned, but the UK is not concerned. Health Canada is not concerned. And, and AstraZeneca is not concerned. Well, Health Canada is collecting further information. So it's not that other groups are not concerned. Um, there is a very different um, mandate for health of Health Canada versus NACI. So they are looking at the va an, an individual vaccine and how it um, how that product is uh, is licensed in a country. At NACI, we're we're taking a population based perspective and we are looking at this vaccine mm -hmm. compared to the suite of vaccines. Um, you know, we are not the only country who has paused AstraZeneca use while the, uh, while the signal is getting uh, investigated. And we very much may start um, the use again um, after the, the signal has been thoroughly investigated. Dr. Deeks, how long will this investigation take? Well, there's, it's under active investigation in Europe. Health Canada has also asked AstraZeneca to, um, to 
provide a risk assessment in the Canadian context. And so that will be um, in a week or so. And the and NACI is is going to be looking at all of that data, as is Health Canada. Right. And I just want, I think it's really important for your listeners to be to also think about um, the potential damages of a safety signal if if we didn't act. Um, and we have a, a couple of cases of this in Canada where we have young people um, dying, healthy young people dying after receipt of, of a vaccine. You know, we do really need to, to weigh the, the benefits and the risks, and that might damage the whole COVID-19 immunization program, and we absolutely can't have that. But they're not dying from the AstraZeneca vaccine, just to, just to be clear to our, our viewers here. And, and then, of course, the ratio of how many people are dying from COVID. But, you know, all this messaging about AstraZeneca from, from NACI, uh, first concern about over 65, now under 55, you know it's led to a plummeting confidence in that vaccine. And now real vaccine hesitancy. There are people who are going to write to me after the show and say, I don't know if I'm safe when I take it. I'm concerned about it. Should I take it? Should I wait for the other vaccines? Are you concerned that all these protocol changes are basically going to turn people off a very critical vaccine? Yeah, I mean, the, the messaging has been evolving and is confusing. It's, it is a really challenging time in that we have vaccines that are coming online and we don't have a, um, a lot of information and we're trying to be responsive and transparent right. to um, providers about the information we have. The clinical trials for AstraZeneca when they were first, when the product was first licensed, did not have um, strong data in elderly populations, which is why uh, NACI recommended its use um, up until the age of 65. We very quickly got real world evidence, and that's, that is the normal case as vaccines are rolled out. As that real-world evidence came out, we we changed the recommendation and indicated that people over 65 could use it. So, and then with the safety signal, we, none of us knew there was going to be a safety signal, but we've also committed to Canadians that we will, if there is an issue, we will be transparent and we will change our recommendations based on those issues. Dr. Deeks, I gotta leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much. All right, coming up, Buy American. The Biden administration launches a $2 trillion program to boost the American economy, but will these policies prevent Canadian businesses from benefiting? And when will Canada's batch of over 18 million more doses of AstraZeneca come? from a factory in the U.S. The U.S. Chargé d'Affaires to Canada. Catherine Brucker joins us next with some answers. Stay right here with Question Period. What I'm proposing is a one-time capital investment of roughly $2 trillion in America's future, spread largely over eight years. It will generate historic job growth, historic economic growth, help businesses to compete internationally, create more revenue as well. A new deal? Well, U.S. President Joe Biden announced an eight-year, $2 trillion stimulus plan last week to boost the American economy. And while a huge amount of that is going to infrastructure like bridges and roads, the theme is focused on a shift to green technology. What impact will all this have on Canada? Will there be a U.S. price on carbon or a border carbon tariff? 
Canada's looking for other help as well from the U.S. on vaccine delivery and in China to get the release of the two Michaels, Kovrig and Spavor. Is that coming? Let's find out. Joining me now is the U.S. Chargé d'Affaires to Canada, Catherine Brucker. Uh, Chargé Brucker, first of all, uh, happy Easter to you and your family. Thanks for joining us. And, and obviously, uh, given the situation in our country and in yours, I, I want to begin on vaccines because the U.S. just shipped Canada a million and a half AstraZeneca vaccines. They're being distributed now. Um, but Canada is expecting 20 million doses of AstraZeneca from a U.S. factory. Since your country hasn't approved AstraZeneca, will the U.S. release more of that vaccine from the factory as soon as possible? Well, first of all, uh, good morning, Evan, and happy Easter to you. And thank you so much for having me on the program today. I'm really delighted to be here. This is a wonderful time for U.S.-Canada relations. We've had a visit already by President Biden with Prime Minister Trudeau. We've launched our roadmap that's going to outline our activities over the next four years. So we are very busy and very ready to go. You asked about uh, vaccines and COVID. Well, let me just say that COVID really is at the heart of our roadmap and our engagement with Canada. And we're working very closely with the Canadians. And we were very happy to be able to loan vaccines, not only to Canada, but also to Mexico, because the health and safety of North America is in everybody's best interests. But specifically, will the AstraZeneca vaccines that are in that U.S. factory right now and that Canada purchased, will they be held back the rest of them? I think it's 18 and a half million doses until every American is vaccinated or can Canadians hope that more are going to come as we're locked down in the midst of this horrible third wave? Well, President Biden has understandably put a priority on vaccinating American citizens. We are, of course, making vaccines available to other countries as the need be. And so I imagine that if Canada asks for additional vaccine support, that would be something that the administration would be ready to consider. Chargé, the Canadian-U.S. border remains closed again in this sort of unprecedented situation. Will the U.S. consider or will it be bringing in some kind of vaccine passport that may be connected to an open border or travel or working in the United States? Well, yes, you, as you rightly noticed, the border is closed. And I think I would say to start off with that we absolutely empathize with Americans and Canadians. It's been a very tough time having the border closed for so long. Uh, but if there's a bright side to it, it's the fact that we were able to keep the border open for essential business. And in that nearly $1.7 billion worth of goods and services cross the border every day, this was absolutely vital for maintaining our economies during the pandemic. Looking forward, we are working with the Canadians in a collaborative way to look at science and public health uh, measures that would permit easing border restrictions. Let me go to the uh, stimulus package. Um, President Biden unveiled this, this massive package. The, the U.S. will, will the U.S., and a lot of it's about green technology, will the U.S. impose a national price on carbon as Canada has done? And if not, will there be some kind of what's called a carbon tariff at the border, a carbon border adjustment, which essentially is a tariff on goods from countries that don't have similar policies that price carbon. Is that in the cards? Well, the Biden administration has only been in office for, what, about 10 weeks. And obviously, President Biden has very um, ambitious plans for climate. And there will be, as you're probably aware, 
a climate summit in Washington on Earth Day, April 22nd, and I expect that a lot of these issues will come up then. Mm. Uh, we're looking to clean energy, we're looking at green energy, uh, but the administration is really still in its early stages and uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing more details about what he has in mind. Obviously concerns here about Buy American. Uh, the president said, and I'll quote him, uh, no contract will go out that I control to a company that is not an American company. That sounds like uh, the stimulus package will prevent Canadian companies from bidding on key U.S. contracts. Will Canada get some kind of exemption from, from any Buy American rules? Canada has raised its concerns with respect to Buy America. Uh, I would also note that it does have to do with uh, our government procurement, and it's something that's been around for uh, quite a long time. Now, government procurement is complex in both Canada and the United States, but there are so many other opportunities where we can work together, uh, some of them under the USMCA. And I would also stress that we do adhere to our responsibilities under WTO government procurement uh, guidelines. Okay. Uh, finally, China. Uh, obviously, the United States, uh, Canada, and other countries slapped sanctions on China recently for its treatment of the Uyghur minority population. Um, a couple of things. Is it now the formal policy position of the United States that China is committing a genocide against the Uyghurs? Well, let me say uh, at the top, when you talk about China, you really can't uh, get into a discussion about China without mentioning uh, the cases of Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. And I do want to say how much the United States absolutely uh, abhors what has happened to them. We condemn their arbitrary detention and we stand with them and their families and we call for their immediate release. President Biden has been very clear that people should not be used as bargaining chips. And that's, of course, one of the reasons that we were so happy to join the Canadian mm. initiative against arbitrary detention. Now, with respect to sanctions, uh, certainly China is uh, guilty of mass human rights violations. Uh, we were very proud that Canada, the UK, EU, others have, stand, have stood with us um, in imposing sanctions, and it's a sign really of a common view about, about China's behavior. And I think it's a very good thing that we're seeing so many countries standing together and making a very strong, uh, sending a strong signal about the importance of human rights. And as President Biden has said, we are stronger when we act together. Well, uh, Charge d'Affaires, uh, Catherine Brucker, thank you for joining us on, on this Easter. We wish you and your family all the best. Take good care. Thank you very much, Evan, and thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. All right, when we come back, are lockdowns enough? Did key provinces open the door to dangerous new variants, and now they have to pay a terrible price? And is there a crisis of confidence in health leadership over confused messaging? We'll bring all that up with the Scrum. Our special guest will be Dr. Abdu Sharkawi. Stay right here with Question Period. Cranky-pated, a bad mood from being constipated. Restorelox works with the water in your body to get back your natural rhythm without gas, bloating, or cramping. So now you can relax with Restorelox. So I was thinking that today Mom, we would... Mom, I haven't had my tips yet. 
wake up to new Tim Hortons Cafe mocha-flavored cereal from Post. The taste of Tim Hortons, now in a bowl. Vichy Lift Active Collagen Specialist with peptides and vitamin C. Hypoallergenic, targets visible signs of aging due to collagen loss. Skin looks lifted, firmer, even skin tone. Lift Active Collagen Specialist by Vichy Laboratoire. With so many ways to shop from home on PetSmart.ca, your pets can spend more time with you and less time doing this. And more time doing this. And whatever this is. Because on PetSmart.ca, you can get all of your pet's essentials with curbside pickup, ship to home, and same-day delivery powered by DoorDash. So your pets can spend less time waiting around for you and more time just hanging around with you. PetSmart. The Rio Mare tuna, eating well, Italian style, is easy. High-quality tuna combined with our finest olive oil, pink, tender, and solid. With its unique aroma and taste, enjoy the difference. Rio Mare tuna, real Italian taste. Weekend Warriors, meet... Match with a sport hood, a custom grill, and 20 inch black aluminum wheels. The Ram 1500 Warlock cleans up real nice. New DQ rotisserie style chicken bites. I never thought unbreaded seasoned chicken this good was possible. I love you just the way you are. Finally, chicken that is tender, juicy, and flavorful all by itself. Thank you, DQ, for giving me just what I needed. DQ. Happy tastes good. Hi, Walter. Join us for a walk? Oh, I'd love to, but my legs and feet are so tired and achy. I had the same problem, but now I use Revitive to relieve my aching legs. Drug-free Revitive is clinically proven to actively improve leg circulation and reduce swelling, relieve aches and pains, and help you walk further. The newly improved Revitive Medic, now with two types of stimulation. Revitive is also suitable for people diagnosed with osteoarthritis or diabetes. Someone got Revitive. For latest offers, see in-store or revitive.ca. Today's a new day, and all I gotta say is we can always find a way to make room to play. Either IRL or half a world away. That's how we play. Here's what we know. Life's sweeter together. Oreo. Now! On the next MasterChef Canada, a new challenge forces the top seven. It's like a finale dish every single time. To think outside the box. Stop! Stop the coke! This is insane. Another mystery box within a mystery box. Literally. What on earth am I going to do with this? Get into an all-new MasterChef Canada. Tonight at 9, 10 Mountain. Only on CTV. Then stream anytime on the all-new ctv.ca and CTV app. With ICUs at their highest occupancy in the entire pandemic, younger people getting sick faster and ending up in the ICU, the health system straining, we cannot logically or sensibly conclude that the status quo was a viable option. We cannot just let the third wave crash over us and react with a shrug of the shoulders. A third wave, rolling restrictions, ICUs filling up, the variants of concerns almost out of control. How did Canada get so overwhelmed again by COVID-19? Was it all preventable? Why are so many seniors not signing up to get a vaccine? Is there a crisis of trust? 
and communication. We're going to bring in the scrum to talk about all that. We're joined by Joyce Napier, of course, the CTV News Ottawa Bureau Chief, Marika Walsh, a political reporter with the Globe and Mail, and our special guest this round is the CTV News Infectious Disease Specialist, Dr. Abdu Sharkawi. Happy Easter to all of you. Good to have you here and to your families, Doc. Uh, we always thank you for your frontline work. Can you just give us a sense when we hear leaders say this is a new pandemic almost, that uh, the variants have changed the entire sort of vector here. How dangerous is this third wave? And, and do you believe the shutdowns that we're seeing across the country have come too late? Well, this is certainly a very dangerous time that we are witnessing. The variants have definitely changed the trajectory. They've changed the whole framework of how aggressively we have to defend against this pandemic. There's no question about the fact that they spread more quickly, they spread with less exposure, they cause disease that's much more severe, and they do it across a much wider spectrum of people in our community, including those that are apparently healthy and have normal immune systems. And that's a completely new phenomenon that we didn't witness in the first and second parts of this pandemic and in previous lockdowns. So if you're asking, did the lockdown come too late? Absolutely. The very fact that we are talking about lockdowns at this point means it did come too late. It's not enough. We still have not addressed the root cause of this issue, which is who needs help? Who needs support? It's not people that are hanging out and having parties that are driving the transmission of these variants. It's people that are marginalized, that need the support and protection of vaccines. Those are essential workers. They need paid sick leave. They mm. need some level of help and safety that they have not been getting since the beginning of pan the pandemic. And I'll echo what my colleague, Dr. Michael Warner said earlier today, we're seeing the same faces that we saw from the same community in our ICU today that we saw in the first wave. They're only younger. And that's a really sobering and sad reflection on things. You know, Joyce, listening to, to Dr. Sharkawi, provinces with no paid sick leave, after all we've been through, two waves of this, um, you're talking about vaccines still not targeting the most vulnerable populations. Are these policy failures that now people might pay for with their lives? Absolutely. I mean, you know, when, when governments want to do things fast, they can. Um, and I'm going to try not to start ranting against bureaucracy because that is slowing down everything, slowing down vaccines. There is such an incoherence in the system um, where, you know, regions are, are vaccinating 60-year-olds. Other regions are, like, like Toronto, begging people uh, 70 and over to come and get vaccinated. Uh, the premier uh, this week saying that, saying, please, you know, uh, we'll probably have to go start banging on doors to vaccinate people, where in Ottawa, for instance, 70-year-olds, there's no more room, no more vaccines, so, you know, come back next week. How is it that we are one country with so many health districts, with it, there is so much bureaucracy that it is not sadly surprising that something so important as sick leave now, something so life and death important uh, is, not, is not adopted yet. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, politicians should be blamed for that. Clearly, they don't need it. But the people out there, mostly on the front lines, do need it. 
the communication issue. Marika, weigh in on that if you can. And I get it that data changes. We have to cut some of the, the health leaders some slack. Mm -hmm. Data changes and they've got to respond to that. But there still has to be clear, transparent, frequent communication because that's a trust issue. What's your view on that? Yeah, I think that the, the key that we're missing right now, Evan, is the clear communication. We are having hours-long press conferences. We are having multiple press conferences from different organizations at the federal and the provincial and territorial levels. The problem is that they're speaking at cross-purposes sometimes, and if you are paying attention, for example, to BC and Ontario, you see that Ontario is still allowing indoor religious services, for example, but BC isn't. And we're all in the same third wave. And so, as Joyce says, that begins to not make a lot of sense or is confusing to the average person. And it becomes more difficult for people to follow along. And it, it doesn't seem that the governments have um, learned from these past mistakes. And I think that's a, a key challenge going forward. All right, I'll leave the last word to you, Dr. Sharkawi, on this, because we actually turn to you to try to communicate some, some non-political uh, view on that. Do you, you, this is your field, do you sense that there's a lot of confusion out there? Oh, most certainly. And uh, I echo the frustration of the public at large. It's completely understandable that there is going to be a real sense of disconnectedness, uh, not knowing is there consistency from one province to the next or from one organization to the next. And uh, I think that it's time to address this. It's time to ensure that if there is going to be public health messaging, that there is communication across jurisdictions and frankly, almost some form of a national mandate to ensure that even though there's going to be regional differences in terms of actual rates of transmission, et cetera, the policies and the principles have to remain consistent. Otherwise, I think we're doing a disservice to the entire country, and that's simply not something we can afford. To. All right, there's a clear message. Uh, I got to leave it there. Uh, Dr. Sharkawi, thank you, sir, for joining us on this Easter morning and uh, for your frontline work, as I always say. Marika and Joyce are going to stick with us because when we come back, will the rolling restrictions change the political calculation on a potential spring election? And what could it mean for the upcoming budget? We'll take that up with our special guest, former NDP leader Tom Mulcair. Stay right here with Question Period. Well, is a spring election still in the cards? With so many provinces entering lockdowns and restrictions, with the variants of concern bringing on the third wave, is the political math on a campaign changing? Well, you might not know it because the campaign machinery has kickstarted. The prime minister recently made a series of campaign-style stops promoting his government's program. So has Mr. O'Toole and so has Mr. Singh. This week, the Liberals and the NDP will hold their annual policy conventions. The Conservatives held one earlier this month. It's all about rallying the troops. But will the case numbers put a damper on a potential spring election that could come after the April 19th federal budget? And speaking of the budget, is it really time for more stimulus? Or as the parliamentary budget officer's recent report said, with a deficit of $363 plus billion, is more stimulus really needed? Let's bring back the scrum. Joyce Napier, our bureau chief for CTV News here in Ottawa, is back. Marika Walsh from the Globe and Mail is back. And joining them is our special guest, former NDP leader and CTV commentator, uh, Tom Mulcair. Great to have all of you here. Hi, Evan. Okay, Tom, let me just start. Obviously, 
the world has changed. We're in this third wave. I know you're in Quebec where you got the new restrictions. Um, is, has all this changed the calculus of a, of a campaign? I still believe Mr. Trudeau is winning his bet on getting those millions of doses, mostly Pfizer. The big numbers from this week mean that if we can deliver them all and get jabs in people's arms, that things will have changed completely by the end of May, and that he might be smelling roses and be able to pull the plug. There are a couple of things that are unknowns right now. What's going to happen with the budget? What's the reaction to that going to be? Is there a report in the works by the ethics commissioner on We Charity? Will that play into the mix? But overall, Evan, I still remain convinced that Mr. Trudeau has done everything he can to top up all of the programs that give people money up until June. Everything has been timed to June. doesn't mean they can't put it off, but my belief is that they're heading late June, if possible, to an election. Let's look at the math on this, Marika. Budget, April 19th. You know, you got to have between four and six days debate. There's got to be, you know, some amendments. Uh, there's got to be a vote. But that's the end of April. There will be millions and millions of more vaccines. This is kind of the critical period, the April-May. Um, what, what do you make of that, given the fact we are in a nasty third way? This is not the time to be considering politics. It's the time to be thinking about health. I mean, in a minority government, you're always going to be considering politics. I think that's, you know, that's just the nature of the game, the nature of the business. It's who's looking to the public to be playing politics. That's the problem. I think that it's very clear the Liberals are laying the groundwork, have laid the groundwork to be able to run this spring or early summer. But I think what we've seen in the last week from Quebec, from Ontario, from BC, makes it very unlikely or a lot more difficult, at least, for them to actually pull the plug this in this in the next few months. There's just too many unknowns. Yeah, Tom, the, there's also politics in the pandemic. I mean, this is so key that getting the vaccines rolled out. January and February were a big time of scarcity. Now they're, they're finally coming. Um, has that changed the political calculus for Trudeau, even though provinces are clearly locking things down because they didn't arrive fast enough? Well, I'm not sure that that's a fair assessment, to be honest with you. I think that the problems in Ontario had a lot to do with the lack of preparedness for the vaccine reservation portal as much as anything else. And that can't be on Mr. Trudeau. Mr. Trudeau, we know they Canada because that's why we're behind a lot of other countries had a lot of problems with the initial contracts. They're being renegotiated. They were rewritten. But now we're seeing millions upon millions of doses coming in. So I think that, as I say, uh, Mr. Trudeau's winning that part of the bet. Doug Ford is trying to attack him on that. He's using essentially the same lines as the Conservatives. Is it going to carry with the public? My sense right now, Evan, is that the public doesn't want partisanship on this stuff. Right. They want people to get vaccinated, and they're tired of the, the tit-for-tat on, on who's responsible for what. There will come a time for reckoning, and it will be part of an eventual election campaign. But I, I don't think that Mr. Trudeau is going to be held to account on the vaccines if he, if indeed he delivers the types of numbers that he's been talking about this week. Okay, let, George, let's talk numbers, because the parliamentary budget officer said there's big number on deficit, $363 billion. But he said growth has been faster than anyone suggested. And the timing, he said, of the $70 to $100 billion stimulus over the next three years that Christian Freeland, the finance minister, has promised, maybe I'm using his word, miscalibrated. Um, what do you make of that? Is, is it time for the, the government to maybe rethink this promised stimulus package? 
Well, you know, the, 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 Mr. Giroux is not the only one saying that. You have the Conference Board of Canada saying that. You have Statistics Canada saying that actually people received more money from the government than they lost. That's not a criticism. It's just a fact. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of money in people's uh, bank accounts uh, right now. People are not spending as much money as the usual as they usually do. So the bet is once all these restrictions are lifted, once people are vaccinated and the light at the end of the tunnel is actually not a train, uh, then people are going to start spending again and that will boost the economy. So do you need to rush in this particular budget to spend that money and increase uh, a deficit and therefore the budget? It depends for what. If it's only stimulus, maybe that will help. If it is you know, going to contribute uh, to, uh, to the structural deficit, in other words, programs that cost tens of billions of dollars for generations to come, that's another debate. But we don't know what right. uh, Christian Freeland intends to do, so we can't even debate what exactly is their definition of stimulus spending. Is it programs like Pharmacare or is it actual stimulus and where would they put that money in order for it to really stimulate the economy? Tom, Tom I'll leave you with a lot. I remember when, during your campaign, Tom, when you were talking about promising to balance the books, now we're talking about $380 billion in deficits. Yeah. What, what's your take on hundred billion here, a hundred billion there. Sooner or later, we're talking real money. I do think though that Mr. Trudeau and Christian Freeland because this is politics, are going to put up a fairly large number for stimulus spending, despite those uh, naysayers. And I think that it's essentially going to be Mr. Trudeau daring Mr. O'Toole to knock it off his shoulder, saying, look, do you want to go back to the Conservatives? This is still Harper land. These are the same people. They want austerity. They're not going to help your family. We've been there for you. You lost your job. We sent you a check. We put food on your table. We've taken care of you. Which one do you want? I think that they're going to try to make that the ballot question now. Well, we'll find out. Um, listen, go enjoy the rest of your Easter day. I know you can't hug your loved ones. This is a second Easter like this, but I really appreciate uh, the three of you, Tom, Marika, and Joyce, uh, spending your time. What else do you want to do outside of eating Easter eggs and talk politics? Thanks to the three of you. Uh, that is question period for this week. Do take care. I know it's a, it's a long month ahead, but... Uh, do your best. I'll see you tomorrow on CTV's Power Play at 5 p.m. Eastern on CTV News Channel. And we will be back here in seven short days. Take good care.